Welcome, everybody, to the Practice Power Play podcast, brought to you by Mayhan and Associates. Man, we're really excited to be getting into this this evening. This is one of our best attended events every year. Historically, we do it in person. We that- have, yeah. Last year, we we went to Knoxville, mm-hmm. uh, Chattanooga, uh, Memphis, and then finished up here in Nashville. Yeah. And now we're not leaving Nashville. We're not even leaving the office. Uh, Chris had a studio built out in the office, and that's what we're in right now. So this is kind of exciting. Yeah. And our 13th. 13th tax seminar, annual tax tax planning seminar. Yeah, so yeah. we're very excited to be bringing this to you, and I hope it's a, everybody gets a lot of good information. And, uh, again, any questions, send us you know messages, and we'll do, it all, do them all at the end. And, the best uh, we can. The best we can. Yeah, that's don't right. ask hard ones. Yeah, no, I'm right. kidding. But, you know, I just, I'm, I'm really tickled to death that this is our first one, Chris, because we're doing this live over three different mediums. Mm-hmm. You know, right now you're on 8x8, which is our uh, software that we have in-house. Then it's uh, it's on um, YouTube mm-hmm. and Facebook. So we've just been blown away with the uh, turnout that, that we're having. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And we will be recording this, and this will be available on our podcast streaming channels, which we're on... Um, there's 10 different mediums. Uh, yeah. They tell us, Don yeah. tells us that we're on 10 YouTube, different... Google, Apple, you know, all those different platforms. So hopefully you can find us there. And if you have a problem, let us know. And again, we look forward to bringing a lot of good information and mastermind huddles with the healthcare professionals for years to come. So we're really excited about this new venue. So thanks again for joining. Well, what are we going to talk about tonight? Tonight, <laughs> tonight, we're going to, it's been a very interesting year to say the least. You think? Um, and again, I think we still don't know exactly how it's going to close out. So, you know, those are things that come into consideration when you're planning for your practice business, your practice financial operations, and your tax planning. Um, you know, we've got things that are in play such as PPP loans, the initial idle grants, HHS loans, idle loans, the current political landscape, the anticipated tax reform or legislation that may or may not come. We'll discuss that briefly. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Garland always instilled in me, you know, being the founder and everything, oh, right, yeah. um, was that, you know, no matter what tax law changes come across, it's always latent with opportunities. No matter which, you know, wh- no matter um, which party's in office, you know, again, you know, certain things are more advantageous for certain ways and certain things, but there's always opportunities right there in the code. And that's one of the things that Garland and, and Mayhan and Associates has really prided ourselves on over the years is digging into the code and finding, you know, tons and tons of great deductions to help to help keep cash in our in our doc's, doctor's pockets. So it's been it's it's been like you said uh, this being the political season and then on top of the pandemic it's been incredibly interesting you know some of our offices practices were closed mm-hmm. for a period of times the others you know had layoffs um, we, we've had the CARES Act with PPP and the grant and HHS and and the idle and the idle I mean it's just been a jam packed year yes. It's been exciting to say the least. I'm looking forward to a normal year. Um, you know, one of the what, I told what is Garland, that? I don't know. I told Garland this year in April when we're normally knocking out tax returns like crazy. You know, we had extensions till July 15th, and I was doing more PPP work, 
and Eidolone and, and that side of the business and consulting that, than I've ever worked in my life. Everybody's like, oh, you're working from home. I was like, man, I'm not getting any sleep, you know. <laughs> but anyways, it's been late with opportunities, and I hope everybody's bounced back and stayed healthy and happy. So tonight, we're going to go through ways to hopefully give you tips and pointers um, to, to, to increase how much money you save in taxes and build in your wealth, most importantly. So right. we're going to get started, and we're going to do our PowerPoint presentation. So I'm going to pull it up real quick. So, if all things work correctly, we're cooking with gas. So, I'm sure our technicians will come in and let us know if these slides aren't changing. So, again, bear with us on our first live run. And we're here. being monitored outside of this room. <laughs> so, just a little update on where we are now, what we should do. <clears throat> the first round of stimulus that came through were those typically those idle grants, and that was a thousand dollars per employee, up to ten thousand dollars. That initially is going to be, you know, no strings attached. Just here you go. You know, thanks a lot. It later got modified to where the the any idle grant money would be deducted from your PPP forgiveness. So to give you an example of what that looks like, if you've got an idle grant for ten thousand dollars, and you got a PPP loan for a hundred thousand, and you got full forgiveness, you would still owe the ten thousand differential. Okay, so that's something to be mindful of. Um, again, people got $1,000 per full-time employee. And then the idle loans came through behind that, which you know we recommended many people apply for, um, but do not spend. Do not spend the idle loans. Again, everybody first thought about, you know, us included, looked at the amortization schedules they were offering with very long terms and favorable rates. Um, it's come to light more and more that, you know, it's just not a loan that you want to be tied to with your practice or your business. Um, that being said, they will have restrictions on transitions, transfer of ownership, bonuses and distributions to owners, um, a lot of strings attached to make sure that you're not spending money that you could otherwise pay back with that favorable loan package that they offered. So we're recommending that, that, all practices or doctors that received idle loans basically hold it in their Ambien bottle. It's so you can sleep at night. So, you know, because we don't know what the future entails, you know, we have people listening from, you know, coast to coast and there's different demographics and, and areas where this is popping up again. And they're already talking about two week or, or, or month long, um, you know, restrictions. So we just want to have that there just in case. But, but I, I would also add that, you know, if you need the idle money for your business, oh, most certainly use it because the terms are very favorable. But if you don't, then you should consider, as Chris suggested, just holding that holding that back. We're coming up on the end of the year, Chris. What are you seeing and hearing and what instructions would you have? Because, you know, when is the drop dead date to have forgiveness turned in? And also, what's this thing, uh, don't be early to the party or don't be early to the dance? What does that mean? I've been hearing that out. Yeah, and that comes into with a PPP loan, which re that initially came through with basically with 10 weeks of payroll, uh, rents, and, and mortgage interest, those expenses that qualified. Then upon uh, the second round of stimulus, they extended it from um, eight weeks, I apologize, to 24 weeks. So then you got six months of, of assistance that you had to use on qualified expenses, which for all intents and purposes, your payroll would absorb and then some. So it looks like the forgiveness you know, from the, what this thing was built to do is not going to be hard. Um, I will share with you 
that I've done some of the forgiveness applications and some of the sub- supplementary schedules that go with that, and it's not as easy as they made it seem. So I hope you know. So I hope my January wasn't like my April, and I'm being <laughs> I'm being facetious. But that being said, the PPP loans. Negrano said, "Don't be early to the party." I think this is where you really want to get with your tax advisors and see what your specific or particular situation is. Right now, based on being shut down for two and a half months, has your practice rebounded um, or, or whatnot? And that being said, because you have options of when of when it's due, okay? Again, you, for all intents and purposes, everybody's in anticipation that January is when the applications are going to start flooding in. Um, however, some banks have their portal set up for you to go do your application. However, I have not seen any forgiveness happen yet. Right now, if you have a fifty thousand or less PPP loan, it's automatically forgiven. They're talking about increasing that to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars per PPP loan, um, which will make the application process a lot easier for a lot of small businesses, of course. Um, so again, there's not a right or wrong time to apply. Most people are saying hold tight because they're awaiting further guidance from the SBA um, and the Internal Revenue Service and Congress. How they're going to change? They've moved the goalpost on this literally a hundred times. It was, it was, you know, we all lived through it, and we y'all were watching it and studying and watching podcasts and you know hopping on webinars. Um, that's where we are right now with the PPP and the idle. So idle, hold it and pay it back if you can. Use it if you need it by all means. Um, the PPP loans, uh, you know, that's specific to what your particular practice tax position is this year. It may be advantageous for you to get forgiveness in 2020. But if that's if that's your particular case, then you definitely want to get moving with that process because it's not expeditious, at least how we've experienced it. Now, the HHS money, that HHS stimulus that came through, that was specifically for healthcare providers to help them incur two things. Additional expenses in property, plant, and equipment, or PPE, for safety uh, measures due to COVID, or lost revenues due to COVID. So they had HHS stimulus one that you know a lot of people didn't go after, but stimulus two, what seemed to be the highest application rate for most practices, and then stimulus three, um, and and those HHS stimulus funds again. There will be a testation and documentation that you'll have to submit to Health and Human Services in January that show that you spent at least that amount of money in additional PPE expenses and or lost revenues. And that's something you also want to consult with because it's not just the hard cost of your PPE expenses. We had many practices that brought their staff back a week early practicing their PPE new initiatives and that kind of thing. So that payroll is a part of that. All your expenses are a part of that. Any lost revenues are a part of that. So it should be hopefully, you know, very ascertainable for most practices to get those forgiven in their entirety. We look at the political landscape and as as we all know, this has been just an incredible, incredible, crazy year. We had a... um, I guess Trump versus Biden on the different types. Uh, just and we'll just spend a minute on this, but the different things that they were promoting and doing, and there's a stark difference between the two. Uh, you can go back. That was last month when we did this podcast, and it's still up on YouTube. And if you go to uh, Practice Power Play, uh, it'll come up, and you can listen to it. But we gave a very detailed. 
uh, or as detailed, as vague as some of the things were, as we could be, uh, approach to uh, what's going to happen. But there's a lot still unknown. Who's going to control the Senate is the biggest unknown that we have, and that has a lot to do with what's going to be passed by one party or another. So we'll just leave it at that. If you want to visit our tape broadcast broadcast that we did last month, we'd encourage you to do so. Matter of fact, Chris, I'm not sure you know this, but of all the podcasts we've released so far, that's the number one um, attended. Well, I know that I was on a lot of people's minds, as it very well should be. And, you know, just a summary of the, you know, I think that, hey, Wall Street was happy with the, with the tentative results. The Dow had its highest day, was it yesterday or the day before? Yeah, um, something like that. Something like that. And, and that's Maybe not, last yeah. and, but, you know, from tax policy and other policy, um, most time business, taxes, Wall Street, like having divided government because there can't be a whole lot of change. You know, I sit there and a lot of people say Washington never gets anything done. And I'm like, thank God. Right. Um, but I'm being funny to an extent. But that being said, is that Republicans picked up seats in the House. It looks right around. It's a 50-48 run in the Senate. And Georgia's coming up on January 5th. And however those two seats run are going to really affect what can be pushed through. But even if it, even if those two seats go to the Democrat side of the aisle, um, there's not going to be ramrodding of just major, major changes. Now, there could be changes, but it's not going to be what they were on the uh, ca- campaigns speaking to. Yeah. At least our, that's our forecast. I know a lot in the CARES Act was devoted to the PPP money and the idle money and the HS, HS S money, but there were a few things, and that's not the thrust tonight, but we do want to uh, wet, uh, I guess, your mind with it a little bit on some of the highlights that we thought were important. And that is, uh, number one, and, and I've got five, six bullet points up here. You know, businesses now can carry back operating losses that were incurred in 18 even, um, and through 20, we can go back five years. Well, that was a change. And then there's got qualified improvement property is now eligible for 100% bonus depreciation if it was placed in service after 1231.17. So if anybody got a cost segregation, that's something that you need to seriously look at because you could have just a big, a large amount of deductions that you can really just unleash. And there's various years that you can unleash it in. It requires different types of filings, but it's something that you can do. Now, again, we can't go into nth degree of detail. A lot of these items that we're going to talk about tonight, you know, you may just need to call us and let us set up a time uh, to review it with you. Obviously, we will, you know, if you're our client, we'll bring it to you. But we have a lot of non-clients listening tonight. So if you'd like to talk to us, you know, please, please do so. Please call us. Also, charitable contributions typically are limited to 50% of AGI. That's been, that's just been eliminated. And you could, you can deduct all of your charitable contributions, even though they may exceed the 50% of AGI up to 100. And then if you have early withdrawals uh, from your retirement plans, uh, they're waiving the penalty. 
because so they can let people get to the money. Now, on a personal note, not a personal note, professionally and personal, I think that I think that's bad. We are of all the nations in the world, the U.S. is a very poor saving nation, and to encourage diving into your retirement funds, I don't know how positive it is, but I know we have been in dire times like we've never been before. So probably in the final analysis, this is a, a good thing. Also, waiver of required minimum distributions, whereas if you reach a certain age and have certain dollars in retirement programs, IRAs, qualified plans, then you're not required to take a minimum distribution. Also, typically, you can always have up to $50,000 uh, pension loans. They have doubled that up to a hundred. So these are just a few of the high points. There are other things in the CARES Act that we'll, we'll be developing later on, but we just wanted to kind of give you a little bit of an insight on some of the things that we thought had potentially some immediate impact. Correct. You know, PPP, IDLE, HHS, the current political landscape and the CARES Act are a lot of the new applications. And as Garland mentioned, you know, out of that carrying back not net operating losses or qualified improvement property, that's if you did a leasehold improvement or built a building um, or purchased a building in, you know, in 18, 19 or 20, you've mm -hmm. got a lot of flexibility to generate cash from taking it backwards if you, if you, if you need to. So, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of advantages to that. So if that's you, that's something you definitely want to consider looking at. So um, Garland, good points. So let me ask yeah. you a question, Gar. You know, what is the difference between a tax strategist and, you know, tax services as a commodity? Well, a lot of a, com a commodity is just kind of a, a service that doesn't really, this is the way I define it, that really doesn't put on your thinking cap. It, it just goes through the motions. Uh, it's kind of boilerplate, if you will. And we have so many uh, practices. Uh, peers out there that we feel like pro provide tax services, tax preparation, in more of just a commodity type way. Uh, you can see over on the right side of your screen what a typical tax preparation firm would do. Um, and that's it. And you can see on the left side of the screen all the different steps that we go through with the client. Um, asking and studying prior years, returns, reviewing them, then look at the opportunities not utilized and missed. Chris, again, we when we get a new client, we typically mend, amend 50% of those new clients' returns. Mm -hmm. The obvious reason is the opportunities just missed, not taken advantage of. And to us, they're black and white opportunities that should have been taken care of, but maybe the other preparer was just going through the motion. The last thing that I'll kind of emphasize on this screen is we have two different types of review. We have a compliance review that's done by our tax manager, and then we have a strategic review. What's a strategic review? A strategic review is a review of a tax return, and you look at it and say, okay, what didn't we do? What could we do now? Or what could we alert the client to prepare for to help reduce their taxes in the coming years? And we feel like that's kind of the strong part, you know, of some of our, our strategic planning is to not always be 
you know, satisfied with the status quo. So that's what I refer to as, you know, strategic prepare versus a commodity prepare. Gotcha. And I think that's important. Who doesn't want somebody strategically preparing their tax return? Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, Garland, you know, this is this. now we're getting into the meat of it that I know a lot of you have tuned in for. And this is where, you know, you really got to change your paradigm because most people will, you know, spend, you know, twice as much time planning vacations as they do their tax plan or their financial plan. That being said, tax strategies can accelerate financial plans and wealth building bigger and larger than any other strategy out there. It's latent with opportunity, but so many people look at it as a war. They go, I've got to get my stuff together. I hate getting it all together by the end of the year. Let's just knock it out as the screen kind of... Right, right. And just tell me what I owe and let's keep on running. When, you know, if this is something that you look at and strategize about all year long and incorporate into your business operations, the code, the IRS code, tax code, is latent with with tons of opportunities because it's just telling you how to go get it and cut the taxes and save money if you play the game the way they, the Internal Revenue Service and Congress wants us to. Exactly. So let's go through some of the what we feel are core strategies. And there's going to be a couple times during this presentation, I'm going to say, you know, you may want to jot that down. Um, and if that's something that we're not taking advantage of for you, you know, let us know if it applies. That's a, that's a miss on our part. Or if you've got to prepare, you may say, well, why aren't we doing this? So, and I'll try to make note of that. Uh, but the first one is tax projections. You say, well, holy cow, how is that a strategy? How is just doing a tax projection a strategy? Well, there's a lot of things in the law that will you'll be able to deduct or not deduct depending on your AGI, which stands for adjusted gross income. And let me give you a couple of examples. A lot of times, and we're, we're right now, we're in tax projection, projection mode big time with our clients. And a lot of times their taxes will be at X. Well, that phases them out. And let's just take one example. Uh, QBI, as we call it, Qualified Business Income Deduction, or QBID. Uh, I said QBI, but QBID, Qualified Business Income Deduction. There's thresholds. And those thresholds, if you're married filing jointly, and if you make more than 400 and I think 23, it got indexed, so $423,000, it's about half that if you're single, then you start to phase out or you phase out of being able to get that. Well, if we do a tax projection and we see that happening, we can do other strategic plans that will reduce you down into the area where you can take advantage of that 20% additional deduction, which came in with the Trump law in 2017, effective uh, January 1st, 2018. So we had one client just the other day, and I, don't, I, can't, I can't, don't have time to get on off on too many tangents, but when he started out, he got zero QBID. We were able to do, with a couple of uh, strategies, reduce him down where he could take advantage of a little over $50,000, Chris, in um, QBID deductions or qualified business income deductions. Other two quick things is if you're over a certain dollar amount, I believe it's $250,000, you will have what's called a a surtax of 3.8. 
And then there's an additional 0.9% uh, Medicare tax uh, if you're over another threshold. So just by doing tax projections, Chris, we can get, we can affect other things that help them uh, get their taxes down. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see some estimated tax deductions. These come from not only our tax department, but Chris and I, years of experience of what the average deduction we feel like you would receive. The next item down is pension plans. Very, very Comp I say complicated. You know, it's kind of like rocket science, Chris. Mm -hmm. You know, rocket science is complicated, correct? Well, if you're a rocket scientist, it's not. Right. So pension plans can be complicated, but in a lot of ways, if you're familiar with it and how to apply it, they're not complicated. So our typical client will contribute $57,000 into their pension plan, and that's due to our structure. That's including a little bit for their employees, getting about a $19,000, almost $20,000 deduction. Now, here's something else. So we call this smart pension fees or pension investor fees. Do you know you can make an election, amend your plan, where your practice can pay for the fees that you're charged? Now, there's some hidden fees in the mutual funds that are hard to pull out, but your brokerage fees aren't. We did a study, our pension area did a study on this a year and a half ago, and the we could save on a million dollars invested 7000 870, oh, excuse me, we could deduct 7875 by paying it out of your practice instead of the broker just pulling it from your pension funds. Now, what does this do? You still have $7,875 in there working, earning money for you, tax deferred. And over a period of 10 years, it came to right at $300,000 of not only cash savings, but time value of money, of additional monies being earned on that seventy-eight, seventy-five a year, Chris. Right. And, and to echo two things that Garland just mentioned, you know, if you pay the fees and even your third-party administrator fees um, outside of your, of your, your plan assets, you have to write a check for it, but you get a tax deduction. So that, again, that seventy-eight, point, yeah. seventy-five really costs you forty-eight, seventy-five, and you know, and that—that's the cash savings, and the, and then you get, and, and so you get the savings there, and you don't reduce the amount of principal in your plan assets. That's where Garland's saying that these numbers get crazy because it's really an, uh, a a multiple effect of tax, you know, tax deductions, and keeping money that's accumulating in your plan. And then when it comes to pension plans, you know, I always use the example of saying, hey, you know. If I rang your doorbell and said, "Hey, you write me a check for fifty-seven thousand, and I'll turn around and give you seventy-six nine fifty, how many times would you do that, right? Exactly. And again, and it's the things that are slam dunks. But I'll also share with you with those TPA fees, um, investor fees, and pension plans. Not all plans are created equal, and you know you want to make sure that every type prototype of four hundred one k plans is ran specifically against your practice, your practice's income, your employee demographics. Um, because it can make a, a, the most ridiculous change on getting the right plan where all too often people will hop in and just go with a prototype plan with a payroll provider or something like that, not something customized to their specific practice and, 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 and um, 
and where they're at. So, and that's what we do for all of our new clients. And it pr- probably, if we see a demographic change with an existing client, we'll rerun the numbers to see if they need to change the type of uh, formula structure they have. Mm-hmm. All right. And also, spouse on payroll, and really where the power really comes in here is especially putting on top of that pension plan, because then you're going to start throwing seventy seventy five thousand a year as a family unit into your retirement. And you do that for five or six years in a row, and you start seeing those numbers jump fast. And those of you that have, you know, have been doing this and have seven hundred, eight hundred million dollars sitting there, you saw some significant gains last week or last Monday when Pfizer announced their vaccine. You saw hundreds of thousands of dollars jump up, and you're like, I love the stock market now. So I mean, those are things to, for consideration for your spouse. And then also we'll lead into your children on payroll, which is a tremendous opportunity that can save $8,400 in taxes. Um, and do a couple other things really cool that we'll go into real quick, briefly. Now that the standard deduction has increased to 12400 it's a great time to put the kids on payroll. One of the things that I always compliment Garland and my father you know, and mother, it was one thing they instilled in us was work ethic, which I'm very happy for. I hated it when I was a kid, but it's paid <laughs> enormous dividends. So you can get your kids in there, teach them to mop, broom, mop, sweep, clean, whatever it is. And also the cool thing is the 12400 is a standard deduction. I'll typically, personally, I'll shoot for something lower, you know, 10, 750, 11,000, because sometimes they have income coming from a different revenue stream. So I try to give a buffer there. But let's just use the 12,000 for example. If you use 12, if you pay, have two kids and you put them on the payroll and pay them $24,000, you're going to save 8,400 in tax. What's that mean, right? What that means is you can move money and take a tax deduction on it. And one of the things that Garland has been, you know, applying to clients for since it came out was putting the money in a Roth IRA. Roth IRA for the first was it sixty five hundred dollars now? Well, yeah, but I mm. think the projections we did were on based on five thousand. Yeah, but again, let's say, five, but you use the model of five thousand from the time they're six until they're eighteen on that twelve year run. And and if you factor in just a, a traditional, you know, six percent return on money. They've got a pretty significant amount escrowed by the time they're 18 years old. By the time they're 30 years old, or I think it's 34, it's over a million dollars. No, I think I think it's higher than that age-wise. But yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it really jumps. Yeah, it's really powerful. And here's the cool thing. And this is something I'll throw out there, and I welcome any, like 529 college savings accounts are done with after-tax dollars. They're put into typically investment accounts that have high fees and lower yields. And it's locked 100% to uh, college uh, educational expenses or post-secondary. Now, that being said, an IRA is so much the way to go before a 529 plan because the IRA can be used for qualified educational expenses, i.e. college, first-time home buyers, right? And so that gives opportunity for, you know, you might have two kids. One's a brainiac going to Harvard and one's like, hey, I work hard and I got a job and I want to buy a house. Hey, when they're 18, you can high five them and say, don't come to me for money ever again. <laughs> you know, but that being said, that's really a slam dunk that you want to consider doing. Sorry. Oh. All right. So I'll go through it. Home, you know, home office. Here's some easy breezies that 
we do something for prospective clients called a tax crusher. And we'll come through and we'll look at their prior year filed returns and see what they may or may have not taken advantage of. And you'd be surprised how many times still the home office deduction is not utilized for our doctors. Again, how many doctors nowadays in this world get up at you know 5 a.m., get a cup of coffee, log into their practice software, check their check their schedules, they come home at night, log in, make you know uh, phone calls to patients, do some administrative work, etc. The IRS is now allowing you to take a home office. It's a lot more flexible than it once was, but there's still a lot of old school tax preparers out there that just won't let clients take it. And so it, and so here's the other key: if you take the home office deduction. You're much more get a much more favorable auto deduction because now you've got commuting miles versus I mean uh, business miles versus commuting miles, which are things that have been changing the code or or through IRS regs and rulings over the past you know five six seven years, and you still have some preparers just not doing it, not willing to do it. That's more the commodity based, just saying here's your return, here's what you owe, high five, see you next year. Okay. Right. Um, the law likes SUVs and big trucks. You know, I think they're always trying to stimulate um, the auto industry, which again, that's how this how tax code works. Um, but if you buy an eighty thousand dollar, you know, Denali, you can get a bonus depreciation on that and a deduction of twenty eight thousand dollars. And something about my doctors, they like to have nice cars, and and good for that, you know. So that's something to take it, you know, to take advantage and consider every year based on your particular tax situation that year and what kind of you know where your vehicle is. One thing, you know, with the Tax Act of 2017, uh, they took out miscellaneous deductions on Schedule A. It was still limited to 2% of uh, adjusted gross income, but now it's just gone, gone. And one thing that we do that we've noticed other preparers not doing is you've got Schedule E's, you've got K-1's that you're participating in. Well, you still have a fee that your preparer is charging you for uh, preparing the whole tax return. Well, the hardest part of a tax return is not the 1040 itself. That's where numbers are just accumulated. It's from the body of the return. And usually the body of the return is Schedule C's, Schedule E, rental rental property, uh, K-1s from partnerships. That's where more of the difficulty comes in. So allocating what you've paid for the preparation of your tax return is vitally important. And we see this left off all the time because typically the old preparer just put it on Schedule A, miscellaneous, and went with it. And you probably would lose it then anyway because it was subject to 2% of adjusted gross income. So we definitely allocate out the preparation of your personal tax return within your tax return, thereby making it deductible. HSA deductions. This is truly, truly an underutilized, if you've got a high deductible health insurance premium or, or policy, you should do an SHA, HSA deduction. It's a no-brainer. You can do it individually. Uh, and there's companies out there that will help you, insurance companies, even your health insurance company provider will help help you uh, set that up. But that's an easy deduction that you can take off the front without limitations. So coming back to the autos, big trucks are stylish. Everybody likes a big truck nowadays. Ram 1500, Silverado, Sierra, Ford F-150s or above. Titans, Tundras, Colorados, and Canyons are all qualified for that bonus depreciation. So are SUVs, BMWs, Escalades, Navigators, Suburbans, Tahos, Land Cruisers, um, 
I know they they have the new electric truck out. They're bringing back the old line, the um, the Hummer line, the Hummer. Oh, they are. That's yeah. a good looking truck. I think it's one hundred and twenty. So <laughs> the reason we show you these is because these are these are vehicles that weigh over, and there's others, but these are a lot of the vehicles that weigh over six thousand pounds that you can deduct the the entire amount against, or when I say entire amount against the business use, uh, and we have some ways to ensure your initial year if you want to take bonus or section. 179 um, that you know we can create 100% that first year and additionally this is just if you're wanting that big big write-off the first year you know all the other vehicles even under 6,000 pounds are deductible but they have limitations on them another time-tested tax strategy is the bunching bunching of your itemized deductions this is just itemized deductions but utilizing this example, you'll see over, I'll start over to the right that says no bunching and you see their itemized deduction. That's primarily cash and non-cash charitable contributions and property taxes that you have to play with right there. Okay. So every year you're given, you know, 15 to, you know, to your villain, you know, wounded warriors and you're given, you know, you got 10 in property taxes and you give five to Goodwill and it's every year, 30, 30, 30. You see over a five year run, you got $150,000. If you utilize a bunching strategy, and pay two years of, of, of your charitable contributions instead of going into the Goodwill or to ARC every year, go every two years and get and increase that deduction and also pay your property taxes for two years within a 12-month cycle. That means pay it in February and pay it in, in, in December, right? Or October. You think you get the bills in October, right. yeah. So again, the same exact deductions versus the new standard deduction at 24000 over that same five-year period, you'll have 180,000 in itemized. You have 48,000 in standard deductions. That gives your bunching strategy. Over that five-year period, you had $228,000 of itemized deductions versus 150,000 if you just did it, you know, the same old way. That's 78,000 bucks. So that would save somebody in a 37% tax bracket right south of 30 grand just by timing these out and playing the game the right, right. way. And just to mention the standard deduction, uh, we just rounded it off at 24. It has been indexed and it is it is above 24. I think it's 24.6, 20, 24.8 or something like, of that nature. Coming down to core tax strategies, also accountable plans. Talked about the auto and home office expenses that are many times missed. If you want to take that to another level, look again at an accountable plan where your partnership, your LLC, or your S-Corp pays you back, you know, pays you a monthly stipend uh, for your home office utilization and your auto utilization. And what that does is not only do you get the, the tax savings from doing it that way, you get basically non-taxable tax deduction or non-taxable cash flow to you as the owner. So it's getting money from your practices to your pocket as the owner, and it's a and it's a tax deduction. And so it's a really it's a really slick thing. Uh, Garland, you got the tax correspondence. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. People say, "Well, Garland, how can I save taxes through tax correspondence?" Well, let me tell you. We started, I guess it's been five, seven years ago, getting POAs, which stands for Power of Attorney, on our clients. Now, why do we want that? Well, it lets us talk immediately with the IRS. We don't have to necessarily get in this chain of... Uh, mail back and forth, back and forth. And goodness knows, if you've ever dealt with the IRS, you know how slow they are, even in a year that's not a pandemic year. So what we do is we get POAs. We can call the IRS agent up and say, I have power of attorney to talk to you about specific 
things such as your corporate return or your personal tax return or payroll taxes, whatever the case may be, and they're required to talk to us. We work out the problem and we do it immediately right then. Or we also see what estimates have been paid. So we always properly state the estimates. And a lot of times, if you didn't do something like this, time just drags on. Well, guess what happens when time drags on? You have to pay more penalty and interest. So actually, we can make tax correspondence into a strategy, Chris. Nice. Uh, minimize travel. Nice. These are very small ones. I'm going to go quick on them. Minimize travel is a lot of times you've got rental property or you've got a partnership and you go to these and you check on them, but you don't, you don't give your tax preparer, you know, the amount of mileage that you spent driving and checking on them through the year. It's not huge. But, you know, you have routines in life that you'll drive by, you know, some of your property that you have on your tax return. Let's cap capture that mileage and get that deduction. Cell phones paid by business, sure to goodness, you know, we are paying those by the business businesses. We're deducting 85%. You don't have to keep up with them contemporaneously anymore, but you, we have what's called a safe harbor of 15%. We deduct the entire phone, less 15%, and that's been signed off by the IRS. Non-cash contributions, a lot of times we don't even see $500 on there, and everybody gives typically uh, to you know Goodwill or uh, veterans or whoever the case may be. One of the things that you can do now as well, if you need new luggage, because I was looking at my luggage coming from Denver, last week and uh didn't look too good so you know i'm purchasing that through the business loss harvesting to offset stock gains that's if you have any capital losses you know that you can offset any any gains in the you know in the stock market or you can take advantage if the stock drops i'll give you for example and we don't know how it's going to be on december 31st this year because it brings to my, like to me was it 2018 garland the whole year the the markets were up when you look at that 12-month calendar year, it was actually technically down. Because it of just that right, one Yeah, yeah. It was just a little period of time. It hopped back up in January of 19. But again, it was just something interesting. So if you have losses in your portfolios and you have time to realize them, um, that'd be something to, to take for consideration. Uh, contribute appreciated assets to charity. That's something we'll talk about further. But again, a lot of people have some stock that's appreciated or investments that have appreciated. Um, and that's something that you can put, give to charity. And again, it's something that we call the donor advised fund that may, may, may be worth consideration for cash, wealth accumulation, and a gift that keeps on giving. So I'll talk about that further detail just a little bit. Okay, two, two items here to mention, and these are incredible tools. And <clears throat> this is something I would like for you to make a, a mental note of or a jot down if you're listening out there. We have several clients that's got a combination 401k and defined benefit plan. It's called piggybacking a bonus uh, defined benefit plan on top of a 401k plan. Now, if you have a 401k plan, most likely you're going to meet the 70% coverage test. If you meet the 70% coverage test, you can highly slant contributions to the owners or the owner, depending on the situation, to the defined benefit plan. There have been situations where a, an individual 
was contributing heavily to the 401k, we got him to back off of contributing so much just to meeting the 70% test. We added on top of the 401k a defined benefit plan, and we had very, very nice contributions for the uh, owner, and we just had to do a minimum coverage. In some some situations, they were just $300 and $400 per employee, um, and we more than saved that, and were able to use those savings where we reduced it to 401k, and we were able to do it for the owner in the defined benefit plan. It's a nice strategy to model out and look at. And again, I want to echo, this is the whole thing saying, if I ring your doorbell and say, give me $110,000, if I turn around and write you a check instantaneously for $148,500, how many times would you do that? Because if you start to connect the dots here, if you put that defined benefit plan on top of the 401k, your aggregate contribution basically covers the 401k. Yeah, that has occurred. Yeah, in some of our models. Yeah. Sure has. That's a good point. Thanks. Um, correcting self rental trap and with grouping. This is grouping has been around a long time. This is when you group like assets that's related to your business, your practice, uh, such as you know you've got a building in uh, your own LLC that you and your spouse may own, or you and other individuals may own. But yet, because it is uh, passive rental income, technically you're not supposed to be able to deduct those losses. However, if it's related, there's a code section and you can make an election the first year. That's when you have to make that election. You make the election and that allows you to be able to deduct those those um, rental losses and we've gone into with clients new clients that they've had these rental losses suspended for years we'll go in make that election and those prior losses we can carry forward and take all of those suspended prior losses into this year and on one client we were able to bring into uh, his tax return, and I think it was 2017, about $170,000 of losses, and most of them were suspended prior. He was very happy that year. Here's one that, again, is almost the, one of the easiest tax deduction strategies to take. It's called 280A. It's also been known as the master's tax deduction. I mean, congratulations to Dustin Johnson last Sunday <laughs> one, who won. It was a really inspirational speech, and I was proud, proud of him. Played a record-setting round. That being said, the people of Augusta went and lobbied Congress because they want to rent their house out for 10 or 12 days during this world-famous golf tournament and get free income. So if they rent it out for you know, $1,000 a day, for 12 days, they're going to get 12 grand and it's free money um, if it's their primary residence um, and or vacation home. And Garland has friends that live close to Bristol and the, for the race, they'll rent every year. They rent it out to the same people. They take advantage of this deduction. Well, the cool thing is you can utilize it for business expenses. You can utilize it for management meetings monthly, ownership meetings monthly, if, um, you know, uh, bringing over advisors to meet there. And the thing you, that you do, and we've got a package for it, if you have 10, well, I'll tell you, if you've got 10 business meetings in your home, 
and it's at $1,800 a day for rental for your meeting space, your audio, visual, etc. That's $18,000 of qualified business expenses you get, and it's going to save you $6,300 in tax savings. Um, this is really kind of a no-brainer, Chris. You just got to play it out. Play yeah, it out. Yeah, because, you know, in essence, you know, you're renting out your home for you. Obviously, you got to document it. And you've got to charge fair market value. Well, this $1,800, it's actually on the low side. About five or six, seven years ago, we went and called several hotels to see about renting out a a boardroom for three quarters of the day with food, video uh, video equipment. uh, And we got quotes anywhere from $1,800 to $2,250. So you've got to have a fair market value. But this is, you're just transferring you know, eight eighteen thousand from one pocket, putting it in the other pocket, and taking a deduction in between. It's just like the accountable plan, so you don't have to take it out via payroll or or any type of taxable events through the practice. Um, it really, really makes a lot of sense. We've got a package here. If you're interested in it, email us. Email me at Chris at Mayhan Associates or Garland at Mayhan Associates dot com. And the thing is, is we've got the package because if you have your meeting, it's tax deductions are all about documentation, documentation, documentation. Um, if you have your meeting notes, who is there, the date, if you call any local venues around you, i.e. the embassy suites, the Hilton down the road and ask for some meeting space for two to 10 people, AV, get that quote, have it back up. You can really optimize your deduction. Like I had one client, we got $1,800 on here and their demographic, they called the embassy suites. It was $2,800, you know, a day. I was like, congratulations, your deduction just went up. Right. So, (laughs) and that's going through the exercise of more, um, you know, due diligence and documentation, which is key. Also, cost segregation studies. This is back. uh, It's all about depreciation. All too often, you know, this is something that if you own your own building um, for your practice and now even residential real estate. So if you got, you know, you got a uh, residential rental property, you know, go look at that depreciation schedule. If it says, if it's all lumped into into a 39-year property, 25-year property, if it's all lumped in just one property class, you're missing deductions most likely. It's very few or far between when they're, the life of the properties outran the opportunity. But that being said, we've got, we, we partner with a, a guy named John Scoble with Cost Segregation Services, and he'll come, and if you own your own building or residential property, he'll do a complimentary analysis with their engineers and come through and let you know how much tax savings on the table. And we've worked with him for years and he's never came in under. So again, this is a slam dunk. And now with that qualified improvement property allowance that came with the CARES Act, it makes it even more important for you to, because we can come through and many times, many times we take on new clients that have uh, real estate on their books and it just got just just thrown on it, just thrown on the projection. It didn't break out the different components of three-year property, five-year property, seven-year property, et cetera, which accelerate that one-year deduction and they save twenty-two thousand dollars in that example. And that's not and that's not an unusual amount. No, no. So it's something that if you own real estate, you definitely want to look into a cost seg study and incorporate it to the QIP with the CARES Act. Okay, I'm going to pick it up here just a bit because I noticed I looked down at my phone and it looks like we're starting to get a little tight on time. Uh, conservation easement, you know, I know depending on who you voted for, you're probably, you know, don't mind seeing this guy or you're sick of seeing this guy. I don't know. But the fact is, um, 
President Trump it was one of the leaders that made this a very popular thing to do um, because he used it around his golf courses. And this is one of the ways that he didn't pay very much in tax. A conservation easement is just that. If you're not familiar with it very quickly, uh, it protects numbers. land. Huh? And it's, it's simple numbers. So. Yeah. It, it protects land. Uh, it makes land barriers. It protects wetlands. Now, I will tell you right now, the IRS has been attacking these. That should be borne out and told because of valuations. So it's important to work with people that are reputable and they're getting good valuations and they have good basis for their values. A lot of people say, well, the IRS is looking at it. I'm not going to look at it. You know, we don't mind if they look at it. Matter of fact, we actually appreciate when they do go after these types of programs because what it does is it cleans up the people that are doing it wrong and they get out of the business. But the people that are doing it right, they will be there. And this is based on solid law. But for an example, if you spent $50,000 and you could take a deduction for $225,000, that would be a tax savings of $84,000. You can easily see that the eighty-four dollars is greater than the fifty, dollars so that's probably around somewhere around 70% return on your money. It's a strong play. Now, what does this do? This also gets your AGI down low where you can qualify for the QBID the 20% additional deduction. I'll be glad to talk about talk with anybody more about this in detail. There are a few more tentacles. There is something else that's uh, coming out. It's called a fee simple charitable contribution. But uh, again, call us. We'll be glad to talk about this further. Oh, and just as a side note, those charitable, those easements are some of the reasons that uh, some of the, uh, Trump's returns are currently under audit, but I also believe that it is a very viable deduction that is out there if done the right way and partnered with the right with the right people. Um, another thing, I have a client and she is fantastic, and she, every year she gives about ten thousand dollars to charitable to charitable funds. You know. Um, um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah and I mean, she's fantastic. You know, she gives a, to some really great organizations, and the thing is, is that so if she's giving about ten grand a year. And this year, she had, or or maybe next year, just thinking about it this way, she has the she has the PPP loan that's going to be recognized as income, right? The PPP loan is going to be recognized as income. Then, then that being said, this could be the offset to that PPP loan in taxable event, because especially if she has appreciated assets with her investment advisor, which she does, that were at, you know sixty thousand on January first, and right now they're at ninety thousand. Okay. Then she could take those appreciated assets and roll that ninety thousand dollars over into a donor advised fund with her a qualified investment broker. It's got to be a qualified fund, and all that is is like a mutual fund that invests with your with brokers, and that whole amount, that whole ninety thousand dollars of appreciated stock, is a is a uh, charitable contribution. Now it is subject to only fifty percent of AGI and those types of things. Not this year. Well, not this year. That's <laughs> right. Not this year. Um, however, so here's the cool thing: it goes into an investment account, and then guess what? It grows, and over period, you can send money in. But with that growth, whenever you send the grants in, you get additional deductions. So check out this example: I got a hundred grand of appreciated stock. Right, bam, 2020 gets itemized deduction for a hundred grand. That's going to offset her PPP loan. So she doesn't have a tax problem from PPP. 
2022, she lets it sit in there and grow. It's grown by 20%, 10% each year. Broker's doing great. She's grown the grown it to 120, releases 20,000 to her favorite charities. Bam, over 10 years, you're going to have $180,000 of deductions. And this thing's going to keep on growing as long as you leave that base amount. And again, the market's performed traditionally. That's $63,000. That's a gift that keeps on giving. Because you do it one time, you get it all in the first year. It stays in the market and grows. And you just keep getting deductions year after year after year. And you can hedge them. You can keep them and not release them for three years until you need them. And then that's where that bunching strategy comes in. So you see... Yeah. The little bit over the 10-year modeling, just with like the, the TPA fees or what type of plan you're in or what type of, you know, if you do donor-advised funds and how you offset some of these PPP things literally make millions of dollars of difference over a 10, 15, 20-year period. It's like building your own deduction machine. Exactly. Okay, real quick on this one. And this is, this is and this truly caused a lot by QBID. Uh, but we just had a, a lady doctor who brought in an associate not too long ago. And she was asking me, well, what do we do here? Employee or an independent contractor? And I said, I've got a study for you. And I'm not going to take you through all these numbers because I, I know that sometimes, you know, your eyes uh, can glass over with deduction if you could point to the 135. But bottom line, the b- no. bottom line by taking this associate, when she took this associate in, he would benefit 135000 as opposed to 123000 So we could easily show, she could easily show the, um, the new doc coming in that he could make it was a guy, a lady was bringing a guy doc in, and that he could make about $12,000 more by being a contract contract labor when a lot of times people say oh no no then i got to pay fica and medicare and but that's true but with by looking at all the numbers and putting a plan together she was able to convince him you know you've got to also you've got to do you you got to make your deductions because you're an independent contractor you can deduct your own cell phone your auto your internet your home office your laptop any equipment you buy your business meals and then you get the 20 percent cubit down there of 33,000 now it was not just all about the doctor coming in she was able to save on the right side of the screen she was able to save 10,432 the first year and the second year she was able to save 15,546 when he would be entering the pension plan right. so that's very quick you may want to add something we're running tight on time but i just wanted to go through that live example yeah thanks garland and and that being said one thing that you know i'll share with you uh, something that makes it a lot more secure to play it this way because this is a true win-win for the associate and the practice, right? Um, But I recommend that that associate set up a single-member LLC or segregated entity that you you contract with um, that helps give you a little more protection in claiming the contractor status. All right, this is another thing. I've had clients this year. Some have sold quite a bit of stock and have some long-term capital gains. Some have sold a practice and have some long-term capital gains. Some have sold some real estate and have some long-term capital gains. And so that's subject to right now, what, 20% long-term capital Mm -hmm. gains rate. Um, Now, that's potentially going to go up. So if you're on a fence 
right now on capital gains. I know that under the Biden tax plan, they were talking about if you make over four hundred grand, a piece of it becomes ordinary income, and it gets really hard to move assets. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen now, given the current political landscape and the balance of power. But if you're on the fence about selling a piece of real estate or selling, you know, you're not going to be on the fence on selling your practice on, you know, November, whatever today is. Um, but that being said, but or or stock that's appreciated because you're looking at the markets right now going, hey, it might be a time to get out. If you realize those capital gains, check this out. You can put it into something called opportunity zones. And these are zones that are all over the United States. They're in localities everywhere. You can see maps that are there. You'll see that some very large brokerage houses have put together mutual uh, opportunity zone mutual funds. So now you get the balance of all of those because they're investing a lot of private equity into these areas and really building them up and making them, you know, again improving the the area, which I think is something fantastic. If you drop that money, and I'll, let's just use an example. If you sold something for a million dollars because it's an easy round number, you'd have to pay two hundred grand in taxes, right? Mm-hmm. So you net 800000 and say, okay, I'm going into 2022 or 21 and I'm good to go. If you put it at uh, in an opportunity zone and you're incurring, hopefully, investment income out of it, that capital gains, you only have to pay 90%. You get a 10% discount on it. And on a five to six year, you get 15% discounted on seven to nine. And if you leave it in that opportunity zone for 10 years, you don't have to pay any of those capital gains. So instead of 800000 you have a million starting out. You're accumulating interest or investment income on that million. You know, it's easy to say that you might have 1.2 in 10 versus 800 now. So that's something for consideration if you've got a capital gains challenge. Okay, just real quick before we've summarized, these are some additional advanced strategies. These are very uh, fact-dependent or situation-dependent. But Spendthrift Trust, Charitable Remainder Trust, setting up a foundation with a working LLC, business improvement tax credits, the old R&D tax credits, uh, these these can be some powerful tools uh, that we can help you with and be glad to. Just want to let you know the old law, uh, t- well, 2017 law, you know, kind of killed D-pad, but we can still go back and amend 2017 because that's still an open year. But, you know, please contact us uh, and um, we will be glad to talk to you individually about that. Yeah. And, and also just I'll throw this out there as a, as a side note. Um, the R&D tax credits are a really hot item right now. You're seeing a lot of marketing, a lot of its seminars or virtual seminars that we're doing now. People referring back to this R&D tax credits. And what it is in a lot of circumstances is a private entity that's going to come in and charge you 40 to 50% of the credit up front, non-refundable. They say they'll stand back on it in, in an audit. Um, but we've been doing R&D on it, and it is definitely applicable to certain situations but not all situations. So if that's something you're interested in or getting looking at, if you ever want us to give it a look at and give you an objective analysis, we'll be happy to do so as well. Yeah. So anyway, that you know, for further consultation, you know, you can call us at Mayhan Associates at 615-883-7800. Visit our website at mayhanassociates.com. Email Chris or Garland at chris at mayhanassociates.com or garland at mayhanassociates.com. And let me pull this off real quick. And thank you guys again for joining us. And why Chris is doing that, I would just like to mention that I think if we, I added all of these up before we came in here uh, tonight, and it added up to about $220,000 in tax savings. 
one of the things that we look at is putting a program together and we look at it, you know, every year and we see what our strategies are adding up to and we'll get back uh, with every uh, practice uh, and show you what we've been able to accomplish. So we don't look on it as just tax deductions. We look upon it as wealth building. We look upon the what you do in the tax arena with the tax strategies and building a plan as building wealth and getting a true return on investment. And some of these return on investments are much greater than a broker could ever get for you. Right, and the broker plays a, uh, an important part in getting he the does. return on investment on what you can save from the taxes. But just to reiterate you know, briefly, if you play the game the right way, you can save so much money in taxes that the rest of it takes care of itself almost. I mean, we're seeing people you know, doubling their net worth every three and four years and letting the tax code fund a ton of that just by playing the game the right way because taxes are where it's at. There's a reason why Amazon didn't go to New York and it's because they got cut out of tax breaks. I mean, tax breaks in everything you do from buying cars to business expansion to timing of business expansion to kids on payroll to what kind of retirement plans, just doing everything the right way and building that matrix of your tax basically deduction machine, as Garland mentioned. I like that. We're going to have to use that. <laughs> oh, um, no, you'll steal it. I know yeah, you. Yeah, it's already done. Um, <laughs> guys, it's just the, the, the opportunities are boundless. And I hope if you have any questions, let us know. I hope you all learned something this evening. And I hope there's some something that piqued your interest. If there's anything that you'd like further information on, again, please don't hesitate to call us. And, man. I've enjoyed it. Another year in the books. This, I, is, this was easy. I hope we didn't bungle it too much being our first live one. We apologize for any bungling on our part. <laughs> hey, thanks so much, everybody. Um, look at our podcast, our, our Practice Power Play podcast. We have more coming down the pike. We're really excited to help everybody save taxes, make money, save money, and have a great life. So anyways, thanks so much, everybody. Good night.